This program is brought to you by Brining Institute, which has provided higher education, training, testing, and certification for addiction professionals since 1986. Um, confidentiality, I think, is, you know, when it comes to ethics and working with individuals, uh, understanding a client's confidentiality is essential. Um, the right to privacy, uh, the right to secure records, something that they have no, you know, they don't have any power in us providing them privacy, um, secure records, the right to confidentiality with regard to clear or imminent danger to them, um, putting them in a group or a situation where we know uh, that there may be somebody that could do them harm uh, is certainly unethical. Um, you know, almost all relevant codes address the issue of privacy and, and confidentiality. Um, in most cases, um, private, private clients um, identifying information uh, cannot be shared without written consent. So records must be stored in such a way that only those authorized are able to view them, have access. I think we all know that. Um, but it's important for us to speak up when we see that clients' files are not being appropriately stored. Uh, and there are, I have worked with individuals who have a habit of uh, not storing client records. Um, for whatever reason, uh, storing client records on your desk is inappropriate. If anybody had a question, I don't care how many locked doors it's behind, it's not respectful of the treatment activity to store clients' files on their desk, on your desk. Um, so clients have a right to expect confidentiality and be provided with an explanation of the limits of that confidentiality when they ask. These limits generally include court-ordered disclosures, uh, clear and eminent danger to the client or a third party. Uh, most, eth most ethical codes allow for sharing information on a need-to-know basis and following all federal, state, and other relevant guidelines. When you have a question, if you don't ask the question, then that's really unethical. You need, to, you need to find out an answer to that. If a question comes up about confidentiality, you need to, need to get an answer to that. Counselors have an ethical responsibility to re reveal only essential information and inform clients that what information has been shared with whom. You know, just because a client signs a release for information, doesn't give you carte blanche uh, ability to go sharing their information, okay? Under specific, only in specific ways. And you need to tell those clients when you've shared that information. As part of your uh, counseling, counselor-client relationship, you should tell them if you have to fill reports out on them. You should tell them what information you have to put on those reports. You should tell them when you have to give those reports. You should tell them what are some of the consequences that could come from some of the things that you say on those reports, whether it's good or bad. 
So, you know, we get right, we get back to that uh, disclosure, um, transparency. Um, we jump through confidentiality. My point in that is I, I'm going to speed through a few things because we got a little bit behind and I want to be able to go through all this stuff with you. Um, and understanding the role that evaluation and assessment plays with your clients and your day-to-day -day ethics. So clients have the right to a thorough and accurate assessment and evaluation. They have a, a right uh, to accurate diagnosis of substance abuse and dependence disorders. Uh, they uh, should be carefully and appropriately determined and documented whenever you make those assessments. An assessment and evaluation must be done only by those competent to perform the service provided. And that is sometimes Sometimes programs don't take that into consideration when they have to get the activity done. They'll put somebody in there that may not be thoroughly qualified to do that um, and it can create an unsafe environment for the client. So um, anyone who administers a standardized test must be properly trained in doing so. Anyone who interprets the results must be properly trained as well. Uh, standardized instruments must be administered under the same circumstances. Uh, any special or unusual testing conditions should be noted. Any reservation about the validity of the information shared should be followed up on with the person that you're assessing. There is an ethical responsibility to assure the validity of the assessment that's been taken of that person and its appropriateness for the population being assessed. Outdated uh, data or test results um, shouldn't be relied upon. And if you're in programs that are requiring you to do that type of stuff, you, you need to, as a part of your credential, your ethics code, you need to speak to uh, somebody in a super, supervisory position about getting those types of tools uh, updated. We, we went through how ethics play out in confidentiality, how ethics play out in um, uh, uh, assessment. Uh, now let's take a look at how um, treatment planning and documentation, how it's important uh, to have uh, accurate and timely treatment planning. Uh, you know, if a, if a person has 30 days of treatment, uh, developing a treatment plan at, at, on their 29th day of services probably would not be desirable, okay? Most programs have a standardized protocol, okay? But there's a reason why they have that protocol. Uh, and many programs also begin discharge planning at the same time they start treatment planning. And uh, understanding what your program's protocols are. I know I'm preaching to the choir of some of you here, some of you that um, are new to the profession. Um, certainly the program's policies and procedures uh, around documentation, report, and record keeping are really essential. And it's really uh, unethical to get clients into services without meeting those individual benchmarks as are lined out uh, in, the, in the organization's policies and procedures. So a treatment plan needs to be consistent um, with skills, talents, and abilities 
in other circumstances of each client. Um, it really needs to have a strengths and weaknesses uh, component. It's, uh, you know, no part of any client record should be shared with anybody without the written permission of the client. Um, when we get that treatment plan, if we're doing, you know, any type of family counseling um, or other individuals are in our offices, uh, they should not have eyesight or have any information shared with them from any other documentation. You know, it kind of leads me back to that comment about using desks as filing systems. Um, counselors are responsible for securing the safety and confidentiality of the counseling records they create. They maintain, they transfer, or they destroy. Uh, whether the rec records are written, taped, computerized, stored, or in any other medium. You know, and it's going to be really interesting in these upcoming years with everybody going electronic, um, what, that's, what that's really going to look like. You know, what's going to happen um, when some server somewhere goes down and uh, you've got a line of clients back there and, uh, you know, your boss has told you no more hard copies, no more hard copy files, uh, just going to rely on the electronic version, you know, how, how is that going to play out? So, In our relationships with, with our um, clients, you know, I think uh, the communication that's in injurious to the client's, their name or their reputation, um, how they are... Um, how they are accepted in group settings and how we control that discussion uh, I think is of ethical consideration for us. Um, we certainly want to ensure that nothing is libelous, you know, nothing is written that's defaming about the client. Um, you know, I know years ago when I was working in residential, coming in and reading some of the logs about an issue that one staff person had with another client and like, oh my God, there was, I mean, there was nothing clinical about any of the note that was written. Um, it can be very injurious uh, to, to the individual. And, and I think, you know, having uh, timely training and ongoing training about those types of activities are really important. We're only a human being. We're not expected to be perfect. So, you know, getting a case of the rear end for, uh, you know, the activities of, of a client, a particular client, is, is not uncommon, um, but blasting them in, in the patient log that can be read by the rest of the staff um, can be liable. Uh, slander, you know, legal term in, is talking about slandering somebody, um, whether it's within a clinical setting uh, or, uh, outside of the clinical setting is things that we don't want to do and that when we hear other people engage in those types of behaviors it's important for us to speak out towards that to say something most of us no, I don't want to say most of us some of us have the tendency to turn the other cheek oh that was too hard to hear I don't want to address that how much does it, how close does it affect you if you hear another colleague speaking out about somebody? Um, you need to weigh that as to whether or not you're going to get involved in that discussion or not.
So let's go over some uh, rules of uh, self-disclosure. Uh, this is a big topic that comes up for not only people in recovery, but people that come to uh, this profession. Uh, it, it's pretty safe to say that you know 100% of us come to this profession because we're called um, by some sort of uh, desire to want to help people, which has generally been uh, landmarked by some major event in our lives or the lives of somebody we love. And so how much we disclose with a client and, and when and where we disclose that can be extremely important as to uh, the outcome of their treatment. So, you know, rule one, when there's no benefit to the client or when the same benefit can be gained without self-disclosure, why disclose? Um, because when you disclose, it, it has the propensity of shifting the focus away from the client, who's supposed to be your primary focus, uh, off of them. And whenever possible, you always want to maintain the focus on the client, unless by focusing on something else, it can be a therapeutic experience. So there's many ways that uh, sharing too much about yourself can backfire. Hear that silence? That's all knowing. <laughs> you know, and sometimes when a client gets used to you sharing about yourself all the time, that's what they're going to expect. So they don't have to work on themselves, right? That's right. The session's all about you and it's twisted. Yeah. And, I, and if you is written in their treatment plan, that's really unethical. <laughs> you know, the question always comes up, should you share with other clients whether you're in recovery or not? What, what, what's the purpose? You know, is the, is the purpose to um, support your ego? Or is the purpose to talk about your personal recovery in the context of what another client may be going through? You know, you start the discussion out about me, 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 then you've already diverted attention away from the client. Uh, but throughout, or as part of the discussion in the group setting, uh, where individuals may be relating about difficulties they've had in their own personal recovery or are having in their own personal recovery, uh, is it appropriate to share uh, possible similar problems that you had? And I think that it really depends um, on the individual. And I think the key is, does it divert attention away from the individual and allow them to then focus on you is the real benchmark as to whether that's appropriate or not. And, and you're right, agencies, uh, I know of agencies that, that do for, forbid self-disclosure. Um, 
you know, we're kind of at a place where, where we're at right now is, you know, is it, is it useful? You know, if, if it's useful, then that's okay. But just to go into a group and start talking about yourself and your own personal recovery, it doesn't make sense. So um, your client asks you, uh, how have you handled a problem in your life similar to the one the client is facing? Uh, should you decline the answer or answer truthfully? So you're upset. Here's a, here's a question. Uh, you're upset because you had a serious fight with somebody in your family just before uh, you came to work. Uh, and you are concerned it will affect your ability to be helpful uh, during the session. Uh, should you keep this information to yourself or should you disclose this fact to your client? If your particular session starts in a way that you're discussing with the client some parallel things that are happening to you currently in your life and you believe that uh, sharing that with the client could be beneficial with them, how? Um, you know, I think the, my answer to this is no, you don't disclose, you know. <coughs> but there are individuals that do. Ah, I can't believe, how's your day going? You can't believe how mine's going. You wouldn't believe I had to do this, this, and this to get here today, and wow, I'm really glad you showed up on time, but I was 20 minutes late, you know. Let me tell you why I was 20 minutes late. Oh, your session's over. I hope you enjoyed listening about my problems all day long. I'll see you next week. That's the way it works. So rule number three, self-disclosure to repair damage to the therapeutic relationship. Let me pose another question to you. So you decided not to share with the client in question two, and the session went terribly. Okay, you're afraid the client may not return for any future sessions. Should you explain and apologize to your client or leave it up to the client's best judgment on continuing in treatment? Do, do you owe it to the client to, to apologize? And, and, and then at that point, and in that, in that point engage them and, you know, I, I really apologize that I wasn't really present for this session and I should have probably told you ahead of time that I had, you know, a situation come up before this session. Yeah, could teach the client something? Okay. Okay. So what do we know about the client's best judgment? Well, it's a safe assumption that they came to you because they have judgment issues or, or judgment challenges, okay? So, you know, in this particular case, I'd suggest explain and apologize to your client. No need to go into details about why you weren't yourself, but once you've acted in a way that has harmed the therapeutic relationship, self-disclosure is an appropriate way to repair the damage. Be transparent. If you apologize for not, re for not rescheduling the appointment, you, re, you model acceptance of responsibility for your, for your actions, huh? That's right, that's right. So, you guys are great. You got this stuff. Rule four, um, with children or other clients with diminished capacity for abstract thought. You know, it's the things that we don't think about. Because we get in that, 
You know, I got this, I got to do that. I got one-on-ones here, I got a group here. I've got this crisis to put out. Do we ever, when do we stop and think about their cognitive ability? And, and ability to respond honest, their ability to respond honestly and directly to questions unless there's some compelling reason for them to do it. You know, I think, you know, we need to, need to always keep these kind of things in mind. And for people that work with children, you know, it's like if you're, if you had a nine-year-old boy you're counseling and asked you if their mother, uh, so a nine-year-old boy you're counseling asked you if your mother ever spanked you, should you decline the answer or change the subject? You want to be, be transparent, you want to be honest, okay? But do you say to them, you know what, I think we should talk to your parent about this, would, would your parent, we should talk with your parent about this and what their response might be. Not, it's not so much what my response is, what my parents did with me really should have no effect on what happens with you. So rule five, self-disclose in response to legitimate questions about your licensure, credentials, education, or experience. Or just assure the client that, nah, don't worry about my license, credential, or education. Just, uh, just believe that I'm qualified to help you without providing any details. Um, so rule number six, um, when you prefer not to answer a client's personal questions directly, address the client concern behind the question instead. You know, I'm interested in why you would even want to know that about me, you know. Uh, so, you know, here's, here's a question. Um, your client is a gay male in recovery who believes that only a gay male in recovery can be helpful to him. You prefer not to share personal details with this client at this time. Should you share anyway? Uh, decline to share. It's also an opportunity to talk about your training and cultural diversity and working with other types of populations. And, um, you know, maybe that is a place that personal disclosure about whether you have any opinions about uh, homosexuality or hetero heterosexuality uh, is appropriate at that point uh, to make that feel that person feel comfortable um, because if you're giving them you know you're, you're giving them enough to understand that you've had some specialized training around that but really how do you feel about treating a homosexual versus a heterosexual it's not uh, I think individuals that will try and call you out about your sexual orientation it's really not it's not they're not interested in whether you're heterosexual or homosexual they're just they're looking to see whether you're prejudicial or not and uh, I think offering them those comments that you said right there should reaffirm their, their comfort um, that they're gonna get they're gonna get fair treatment so um, rule number seven uh, in the absence of compelling reason to do otherwise, avoid commenting on the physical attract attractiveness of your clients. If a physical attraction becomes a distraction for the counselor or client, 
a referral to another professional is in order. This is one of the things, it's not, it's not uh, discussed openly, um, but it is a reality that um, human beings are going to be attracted to each other in different fashions. And just because we're treatment professionals doesn't mean that we're not human beings first. And that, that if that happens, that doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that you shouldn't be working in uh, the treatment uh, profession. But what you should do is what your ethics tell you to do, what your core functions teach you to do, and you should go to a supervisor and discuss that attraction, okay? And discuss whether a reassignment would be most appropriate, in most cases it is. I don't know of any cases where it's not, but it has to start with disclosure. So I want to thank Brining for hosting this. I want to thank all you individuals for participating. This part, the drive that you made to get here really speaks uh, to your sincerity uh, about being effective in this profession. And just remember, as long as you're ethical, it's going to be okay. Thank you. Thank you.